In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witness. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. They're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ensons Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And... I realized that with a lot of the topics we end up talking about, having done this recording for what, four years now? Time flies and you're having fun, Blaine, right? Any, any guess on how long we've been doing this? Every day is a lifetime of the earth, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, we're going to be getting a little bit of how you're doing seeping into this episode. Good lifetime, good lifetime. Oh, good. <laughs> yes, yes. That's uh, Maybe you're picking up instead of my worldview there. You tell me I have a whole li- lifetime in a day and I feel like a raisin. Anyway, having done this for now many years, we realize that there are some episodes that do feel like they don't, I don't know, connect with a guy who's just starting out. How crazy could that be? I feel like they all connect at every stage and every point. But it was somebody, somebody who listens regularly was having a conversation with a mutual friend and they, it was revealing just how much we actually need you guys to remind us of things that we've blown past and assumed are shared language, are shared understandings. Because I think I assume a lot of things at this point. And uh, this is one of those moments where it was like a, let's, let's hard pause on this like, forward charging. We got to like find what's over the next hill and discover the next thing and have the next big revelation as much as I enjoy doing that. And actually look back and go, what are some of those things that we just assume to be taken for granted and understood in this case, boundaries and what that actually means and looks like in our lives as we understand it. Yeah, this is the problem of the expert. Or if even... Uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert. This is the problem of the member. This is the problem of the practitioner. Yeah. Right now, you know that I've moved to some land outside the city. And I am hardcore novice when it comes to land and animals. And the experience that I'm having right now is actually really helpful. And it's one where I come in and go, no one who is trying to tell me how to do this understands how little I know. Mm -hmm. None of the books that I am reading are basic enough. So I'm going like, okay, uh, Super basic soil development, compost, yeah, like organic waste. I get that. But then going in and going, so I'm reading about how to do it and people going, you know, you need a uh, 
need a 30 to one nitrogen ratio. You need uh, a 50, 50 mix of green and brown. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, what is everything you just said? But keep going. And they're like, yes. and you know, you can compost basically any organic material. And I thought, sweet. I'm thinking maybe I get, I've got a bunch of elk bones in the freezer. I've got, a, and then it, uh, I was having a conversation with another person in the area who's a little more experienced than I am. And they're like, oh, you can't compost animals. They, they rot. I'm like, there's a difference. Plants don't rot. I thought that this was all just one. So like you guys are all, you're talking about the most, maybe the most basic activity ever throwing plant waste on the ground, but you're still making it too hard. And as a novice, I have the questions like, okay, okay, okay. Maybe let's just go like, this is going to sound like a joke, but what is a plant? And is everything green that's growing around me a plant? Does that all count? And then you say you need living and dead material inside, essentially inside the compost. I'm like, it all kind of looks dead because none of it's like connected to the ground. Some of it is pepper rinds. Some of it is sticks. So which, which of the dead things are actually dead? Like, and oh my gosh. it's a very fun experience to go. By the time you've been practicing relational skills, by the time you've been to counseling, by the time you've been either married or dated for a while and navigated other people's family, some of this stuff should be familiar to you. Uh, but oftentimes I find in my own life that I've missed very core concepts because I didn't ask the first day of class. And after that, I felt like it wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the metaphor that you are living in the the farming and the composting is so helpful because I feel like this happens with every new skill that we try to learn. Like it's, it's a, it is a common experience of that. How do you find the right teacher who remembers the right questions of the students on day one and they don't start sharing techniques that are actually way too far down the field, which is why I think a few teachers have actually been super successful in, in the role of disseminating experts' opinions down to the layman. Like that is, that's actually a, a role in the world that goes way back in time and is super necessary. So I don't, in this, I'm not like the expert and I'm not even the expert disseminator. We're just aware that this is a need and trying to go back to it. So something that keeps popping up in many of our conversations, particularly the relational ones, the communal ones, even like the self-care are, is this idea of boundaries and fighting for space, taking taking that really seriously. And I think most people either have an assumption of what that is, know exactly what that is, or are trying to figure it out by context. I think that's, I've been watching our kids listen to us read them stories and they'll ask what one thing is and we'll describe a word or a concept but we'll be using other words and other concepts that they don't know yet. And I'm watching their faces as they're trying to go, okay, you're teaching me about this thing by these other things. And that 
connected. And so I'm, I'm forced to piece it together. And maybe that's been the case with you or for you when it comes to uh, boundaries. But f- hopefully we can remember enough of the fundamental pieces and aspects and roles of this to break it down into its basic elemental parts. I don't know where on the periodic table boundaries falls, but when you begin to think of a boundary, where do you go? And because you are Blaine and, and there's a certain expectation, can you do anything for us with etymology and, and where maybe boundary was first used? Because that would be, that would be helpful, you know? You know, I was funny. I was actually, uh, I was in a different etymology region a second ago when I was thinking of other places this has happened. Uh, I was like, oh, I remember my first class in college where I was trying to get the professor to tell me how I found the readings. And he kept saying, it's in the syllabus, it's in the syllabus. Well, that was not a word we used in high school. When I finally asked him, what's the syllabus? He said, it's the syllabus I handed you. <clears throat> and it was like, bro, okay. So syllabus is an old Greek word that means title page. So it's, oh, what is that? Oh, it's a table of contents. Sometimes they're on paper. Sometimes I post them online, but it's a table of contents for the class. And be like, oh, thank you for telling me the all important thing that I needed to know. Uh, right. And defining the thing with its own word is not very helpful. Yeah. So boundary. Yeah. Means boundary. Oh my gosh. This is an unfortunate situation. It, and it's the boundary <laughs> I just handed to you. It means bound. Uh, or if you want to go back, it means a limit. And so it's a landscape political term. And it is the limit of essentially a person's jurisdiction. It's really hard when people think of everything in a different way, like people living in Britain at the end of the first millennium, like they don't see the world the way I do at all. And I want to see the world more like they did and go back even further to be a pre-modern person. But to go, (laughs) in the old sense, a boundary describes the way that a person's sway is exercised within a given place. And at some point, you've reached the limit of their dominion. Yeah, you know, originally, that's probably how far a person could ride a horse in a day, or that's how far you could feasibly march an army, or something of that kind. It's the limit. Uh, so that their kingdom is bounded. But then people began to discover that there were all kinds of limitations on the exercise of power. So you can't actually make someone believe something. So that would be part of the limit of the power of a sovereign. Uh, You can't actually make the seasons change. That's the limit of your dominion where you brush up against the dominion of God, et cetera, et cetera. So... What does this help you understand, Sam? <laughs> I think uh, we actually use the word so much in the relational sense that it actually is really helpful to go back to the ways that it, it is a geopolitical term. It is a geographical 
uh, description and you look at a map and go, what can you learn about your personal boundaries and the way that that's meant to play out for yourself, for your family, for your community, even for your kingdom? And what can you learn from the ways that this actually applies politically and geographically? And I think that's super helpful just to go, when you cross this line, you are changing who has authority, who has say, who has power. And often, I mean, if it's to the geography, you, you are drastically changing landscapes. You are changing features. You're, you're changing uh, temperate zones. I mean, you are, you're changing time zones. You're like, there's so much variety within it, depending on the scale and the scope that it, it's helpful for me to then look at it and go, that's as black and white of a difference as it is relationally. When you're interacting with somebody and you feel that there's a lack of a boundary, or maybe in uh, the political sense, they have pushed your boundaries all the way back. And so they have eroded them. They have made you their territory. That is why you feel exhausted, strung out, powerless, because you, you genuinely have no power in that relationship. They've, they've removed your ability to have say in your world, whether that's just that relationship or if that's a particularly controlling uh, family member in your own space um, or if it's a, a coworker or a boss, like you have experienced the, the negatives of, of these things when they don't exist. And it is that black and white of when you cross this river, you are no longer in the Eastern United States. You are in the Western United States. When you cross the continental divide, all of the water is now rushing towards a different ocean, like black and white. Yes. You know, Dallas Willard says that your kingdom is where your will is done. And uh, a good definition of a bad boundary, a bad limitation is where someone else's will is done in your kingdom, where you should have say. So there is a bit right. of, I am a little surprised and happy at how productive the, the spatial origins of this concept are turning out to be. Uh, because, you know, we talk about limiting in the passive sense of the limit of King Arthur's kingdom is how far he can send his knights feasibly without running out of water. But there's also the active sense where the limit of your dominion is where you begin running into another people who won't let you come in and do what you want to do. And there's usually a kind of border zone. And the border zones are the fluid places that they're actively negotiated kind of all the time. So when we turn the corner to talk about being a person whose life who has boundaries, I think one thing, one place that's helpful is to go, where should my will be done? What is my kingdom? And how far out from myself does it go? But I think that oftentimes people have to be taught again that they have a right to their self because oftentimes in families, 
parents insist that the will of the parent be completely realized in the child Mm. rather than going, you have your own will. My goal is to help you use it. Mm. But we know that oftentimes parents want to actively control the feelings, actively control the thoughts, actively control the imaginations of kids. And right off the bat, we're going, this is... Why are you describing me? uh, This is... This is a major violation of boundaries because inside the good old-fashioned history of Christianity, there's a lot of wrestling with what it means to have a self, but there is consensus that we have them, we are given them by God so that we have something to give to God. Mm But nowadays, you know, I think often with a young guy, you have to start the conversation with, you have been given a self by God. You are, you are an epicenter of the will. You are, you, these things are, you know, I like to describe them in hard ways, but uh, I think maybe the easy ways are like, you're a real human individual. And some of the things that go with that are that, Uh, Parts of the self that belong to you are the things that you feel, the things that you you participate in, the thoughts that you have, and then ultimately the things that you voluntarily uh, like say and believe. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I think this parenting piece, like there, there is in. Instruction as well without control as much from earthly parents as there is from the father. And so there are these, these sovereign aspects of self, of creativity, of emotion, of, of thought, even these, these wild untouchable places that are, well, okay. I won't say they're fully untouchable because human beings have been really trying to control other people's thoughts for forever. But at, at, usually those are quite hard to control. And and watching as we, we ha- these actually do live couched in uh, an, under a broader kingdom, a broader structure. You don't actually live as a, a brain in a jar and, and this is the matrix and you kind of get to do whatever you want. I think of all of the language around kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the earthly kingdoms that we've seen, there is a structure to them that actually gives them strength. Someone in with, with low authority and with low strength doesn't hold land, doesn't hold territory, doesn't hold boundaries for very long. It, it falls in on itself. And you can also watch that with the history of nation states and the history of empires when when something stretches beyond its scope, it collapses in on itself. But when something is run well, you actually still have all of these smaller vassals and autonomy and authority, but they exist underneath more and more capable, more and more powerful. And sometimes more, not more capable or more powerful, just more wicked um, structures that got in, in place. But in thinking of the kingdom of God specifically, his authority 
Christ's authority that we then operate underneath is really relieving and yet also doesn't take away those aspects of yourself. You can have the, the philosophical debate of predestination and free will all you want, but at the end of the day, you still actually have to make choices as though that is a choice. You don't go through the day as a robot with this flippant, oh, this has already been predetermined inside for me, so I'm just going to pull on whatever shoes I find. I, I have yet to meet somebody who lives that completely. And so within whatever scope or realm or kingdom or size, like if you are a single guy or if you are running a company or if you are starting a farm, like you have a different kingdom that it's yours, but it still is yours as much as your emotions are yours, as much as your thoughts are yours. And it's this, I just think it's this really interesting, you just watch as, and it does feel like this pyramid that can scale up or down depending on where you want to explore it. And for me, it makes me want to begin testing, like where is that operating healthily and where is that operating unhealthily? That, that's really why we end up talking about boundaries with other people is the, you know, the example of somebody else having total say in areas where they shouldn't in your world or you feeling exhausted because you've been having to fight for your boundaries and that has just been unsustainable for so long. So as we look at the unhealth, I, I also go to the, like, where have we tried to extend authority and the boundaries beyond where we're supposed to and things are beginning to collapse in on itself and not actually have the structural integrity anymore. Uh, this is so good. I'm really glad that you raised the positive and or, or those, those two dimensions because the two sides of boundaries or the limitations of a person's power are one, when someone else is violating the limitation of their own power and their will is done in your kingdom. The other one is where you or I am trying actually to make my will done somewhere it shouldn't be. And this can be everything from abusive and manipulative to simply exasperating. And I think that as a person grows into maturity, I'm going to tell you, you find yourself less abusive. You find yourself less manipulative over time as you live a longer life with God. And so one of the one of the last remaining pieces where you're like, oh, I don't actually have good boundary. I'm not acknowledging, recognizing good boundaries. Uh, I think is usually identified by really deep frustration. Yeah. I know that you and Susie have, Em and I have partially adopted, several of our friends have the saying uh, OPC. Yeah. <laughs> which is other people's choices. And it is the, when some, when someone decides to do something that is just so exasperatingly, like it seems like such a bad idea and I want to run in and make the story go away. Which is, which is most decisions other people make without consulting me. Yeah. But I never do that. Uh, <laughs> is like, the boundaries that I need to engage are where I don't get to control how other people's lives go. Yep. I actually don't. And there is actually rest to be found in that reality. Uh, and the kind of OPC 
it's meant to be something that you say with kind of a shrug and a... It's benevolent detachment, kind of. A benevolently detaching, but recognition of the fact that I don't get to choose how other people live their lives. Yes. Yeah, the OPC thing has been really helpful, like this little release valve. When I feel, you know, back to the, the nation's analogy, I feel like I am like cavalry, get armored, get mounted. Like, let's begin rolling out the troops. Let's go to war because they are making the wrong choice for their lives. I would make them make a very different choice. And we are about to go and try and push the boundary of where they get to make decisions. Now, like, no, you don't get to because you're frustrating me so much. So I'm going to invade you and force you to let me make your decision by even experiencing the frustration or trying to reach out or trying to control, depending on how close the relationship is. And the OPC just goes, all right, everybody off your horses. Army, stand down, go back to the fields, go back to tilling the crops. And I, I am not responsible for that choice because I can think of many dynamics where the worst case there is is probably that you succeed in it. Well, you would say like maybe the relationship would be on the line if you try and take over, but I can actually think of several really unhealthy family dynamics, um, not in ours, but ones that I've had eyes on and go like, oh, your parent has established their boundary lines in your world. And that is the worst scenario that they were successful in it. And now you're dealing with the, this invaded power and they're not going to like it because they're going to be resenting you and they're going to be wanting more of it. And you're not going to like it because you got invaded. OPC, don't do it. Oh, it's, it's so helpful. Uh, so I want to walk through some, like, um, some specific areas and some specific examples uh, because you know, when I, when I say that, the beginning of boundaries is recognizing uh, where your will is done. And, and that can also, I just want to make sure we don't fall off the other side of the horse. And in Dan Allender's phrase, do great harm to ourselves by going. So make sure that everywhere your will should be done, your will is done. Because uh, it, it doesn't work that way. Actually, uh, we live our lives among other people. And so we're oftentimes, uh, there's some level of flexibility here. But I think boundaries in other people's lives are very easy to see. And, you know, one of the, one of the easiest ones to start with is usually like work or church or volunteering or an organization that you're involved with. One of the easiest ones is not relational. It's easier to see in the way a person spends their time. And if you were having dinner with a person and they started putting on their shoes and said, I have to leave early. Where are you going? Oh, well, I have to swing by my boss's house and grab some equipment for a thing on Monday. I would have some follow-up questions like, is this a regular thing? How often is your boss allowed to text you for errands? What are the terms of your engagement with your work? Like, what exactly have you given them access to? Mm -hmm. uh, and what are the limits of your work's power? And we live in a boundaryless world. We probably should have started here. 
we're really starting from zero because when I'm telling someone about a friend of mine, it's not uncommon for them to whip out their phone, look up their name, find their Instagram page and look at photos of their children. That's a thing that you see happen. Mm -hmm. They're trying to like, go like, oh man, who is this guy? He sounds crazy. And to go, so we think that as soon as we know that someone exists, we should have access to the innermost places of their lives. And we should be allowed to send them a message. Yeah. That's insane to me. That's absolutely insane. We're not talking about emailing a business. We're talking about a, a private person. And if we go back to the kingdom metaphor, man, if I'm living in the court of King Arthur, and I learned that King Arthur, just, I'm like, oh, man. I'm going to send him a letter and see if he wants to hang out. Uh, I would be laughed at. It would go, he's not going to read your letter. Uh, you have no business contacting him. That's not inside your authority. That's mm -hmm. not something that you actually have permission to do. The boundary lines of the kingdom are there. Well, we've just, we've worked very hard in the abolition of hierarchies and the abolition uh, of differences in, uh, in any order of life. We work very hard to eliminate boundaries everywhere. And we wonder why we hate the world that we're living in. Wow. Roll the outro, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's crazy. It's crazy that you can learn that someone exists and go look at them. It's crazy in our workplaces that uh, bosses often kind of text around the clock. And I know that many of my friends have to deal with situations where it's not like they're being called on weekend. They're being called on vacation. They're, and, and the boss is angry as though the, the contract is being violated. Mm. And I do not like freelancing at all. And one of the reasons I don't is because it's a boundaryless environment. And you have to work very hard. But when I'm in that environment, I have to tell people that I work with that it's like, hey, I respond to emails related to this project in 48 hours. I will never take a call or an email outside normal business hours in, this, in the time zone where I live. I will never check this on a weekend. And if you need, if that doesn't work with your workflow, you need to find someone else to work with because I won't do anything else. And then I train people to respect those boundaries because Every freelance project I've done, people text after dinner. Every single one. And if I respond, I'm training them to do it more. Uh, if I refuse, they either learn or they never work with me again. And we're both better off. Yeah, I'm wondering like what's at stake there? Because I can think of when it comes to uh, the world and, and work and hustle, I got the guy who is accessible all the time is going to be the more successful real estate agent. The guy who is going to do that extra hustle is going to move up the ladder potentially faster and therefore creating more and more of that culture of you have to be willing to do the thing that everybody else isn't. But I would push against that and say there is probably a line somewhere where that isn't true. And there's probably a line somewhere where you will feel violated by what is being asked. And for some, that's getting a text in the evening too late. For others, that's being asked to do very specific tasks, things they might be uncomfortable with. Like th th 
the world that even lauds that ability would still go, but there's limits to that as well. We just keep pushing them further and further back. And and we're a danger here of of zooming out in the and the implications of this to like the social conversation. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We we are living in a world without boundaries where anywhere that there is one, we as a culture decided that that is a, a personal affront and that there should be no boundaries there's other than maybe the protection of personal property and their pursuit of happiness. Like, thanks for that one, founding fathers. We'll hold on to that, but everything else is out the window and I want nothing to be holding me back. And I would then point to the world's data on anxiety, depression, suicide, burnout, career changes, and ask the world, how is that working for you when your method is boundaryless living, being willing to go above and beyond to some new level? Because the, the equation would argue that it's not going well for very long. So would you be willing to consider an alternative? Would you be willing to consider reeling those boundaries back into something that may feel crazy for your world? But there was a time when it wasn't crazy. There was a time where it was assumed that that was where the boundary was. Yeah, that's so good. I want to touch on a very, very core one. And I want to zoom into the relational one out of the, hey, like things that are in your kingdom are, are what you do with your time, right? Because even once you work a job, you've, you, you've chosen to work that job. Let's just embrace Kierkegaard's good faith and go, you could do otherwise. Uh, and so you, you enter into that and you establish a kind of contract of uh, what giving someone access to you is going to look like. So what you do, uh, your time, eventually where you live, what you eat, uh, what you read, these are things that, be- that belong to you. Now, we think that with the self, the only safe place is to be giving that to God and inviting him to like co-make all of those decisions with you. But I think the really core one, and I think where people get into trouble, it is the relational spaces. And it includes the kind of conversations you're willing to have. Big one there. Uh, But it also includes your emotions and your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And... A person who is violating a boundary is having a conversation about your relationship without ever using the word I. Mm. We are in our world, we're passing from an ethical system that's rooted in intent, what a person wants to do, and it is moving to consequence, the effect that it has in the world. The really interesting thing is that the effect is totally outside of a person's control. And this is, you know, we can get on a whole thing here, but it's like, and we we see that relationally where a person is like, you you hurt my feelings. I'm like, 
I'm so sorry to hear that. How did I do that? Uh, you this, to be like, I didn't mean to, but I can see how that would come off that way and I'm sorry. But that isn't enough in the world that we live in. It is, you made me feel this way, so you must have meant to make me feel this way. Mm, yeah. And he's like, no, I didn't. And I won't be accountable for something that's outside of my kingdom. And I hope that your friends listeners with at least a few high schoolers because they'll give you the master class in this usually by negative example <laughs> but i love talking to high schoolers about what their relational roles are like and i love recommending that they just turn into crazy people to be like the only solution to this is to be really weird i'm telling you you want to find an easy way to make relationships good that doesn't exist but they do a lot of you talk one they don't let people control the things they don't listen to people when they try to control the conversations they're willing to have. That's a boundary problem. And eventually the only solution is you gotta stop spending time with certain people. Uh, but the other one is they just insist on going, um, you are always so domineering. Oh, you just must really be independent. Oh, right. It is always, I'm going to put my op interpretation on you and make you believe it and be like uh sorry no 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 and i've done that too and really really failed and it is a journey for me to discovering like when i'm inviting it uh a person into a conversation about an effect that they're having assuming that this is a pretty healthy relationship when it's really unhealthy, you have the rules change. I, I work really hard to say I, and the funny thing for me, I used to talk in like impersonal ways, like one could feel this way and like try to make it about nothing. Cause that felt safer. Yeah. But now, and this is my life. I'm like, when you talk this way, I feel like I have to defend myself because I feel like you're telling me that you don't care what I think. Is that what you are meaning to communicate? Can you help me understand what's going on here? Mm. That is a very different relational invitation than stop trying stop not listening to me. Stop trying to control what I think. Uh and and I'm not violating the boundary of dominating them, but I'm going, I'm telling you how I feel. I'm not immediately making you accountable to it, but I'm inviting you to a conversation. And if my interpretation is true, you can better believe that sometimes a person is going to have to say, you're right. I'm sorry. Yep. Good. So ways that we, that we've seen this and, and practice it in the current moment, what are, what are some things other than the example that you gave about work? Um, so we talked a lot about relationships, like what's, what's a practice or two, that you do with boundaries relationally these days? Oh, uh, my internet cut going slow. Uh, you're going to have to go first. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Okay. Um, I can go first. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, just as like a, a first level, I, I am not available on the weekends. Like uh, if you want to see me and you are a friend, like that you know by now that 
I am not available because my weekends are for my family. And if as a family unit, we decide to have another family over or do a play date or do some outing and I end up seeing friends, that's great. But that's a decision that we will have been making as a family rather than as a personal unit. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule where I will try and do something for myself on a weekend. I've got a reading an article on sailing for this upcoming volume of and sons. And so I've got a sailing course one Saturday, but I tried really hard to make sure the other three didn't end up on a weekend. And so that's one of those, like, you will know very quickly when you're in my world, when I'm available, because I will make it explicit. I am, I am available again in these realms. And the second way I picked this up years ago when beginning some of the, like the counselor therapy conversation and, and the term is containment. And it's the idea that when you're meeting with someone, you set boundaries even on that meeting. And we've talked, we've touched on this before, but it's the idea that if you are available all the time for anyone and when you meet up with someone for coffee, you, you have no end time um, the inverse is also true. Like you, you aren't actually focused. You're, you're sort of available to everyone and you're not really there with the person. But if you're able to sit and, and create a boundary for the time that you have, then you actually can be present and the person will, will feel more at peace with you because they know explicitly how much of you they have. And so that's a practice I do relationally you know, if someone's like, hey, let's grab grab lunch or grab a coffee or would love to hang out with you some evening, I I will I will present to them explicitly what what I have available. Oh, like, yeah, would love that. I've got an hour and a half this day. Oh yeah, I'm I'm available, but not for five weeks. I'm sorry. And that's not because I have something every evening. That's because I am intentionally choosing not to. And therefore I'm going to experience a rhythm of availability and be very clear with what that looks like for my friends and, and for my coworkers and, and for the people in my world. Good examples. Anything you would add? Yeah. I think that over time and in different ways, I've had to and, and gotten to practice being very upfront, being very active in the kinds of conversations that I am willing to have. Yeah. And, I, you know, like when I was in college, yeah, anytime I was hanging out with like a mixed group of friends and the conversation, you know, it turns off color and that's fine and it's a little edgy, that's fine. And then it like all of a sudden becomes like, a conversation that's about like sex. I was the guy in the room who go, yeah, if we have this conversation, I'm going to leave. I want to, I want to hang out with you guys, but I'm not going to hang out and talk about your sex lives. And then sometimes then I, that would meant that I left. And <laughs> I think that we know we talk about triangulation and things in families, but in church contexts and uh, other communal contexts, like over the years, it's been like, <laughs> I'm not going to talk with you about your relationship with blank, right? Like 
and, and these are often, it's usually people who are, who should be, uh, who should have more authority than you. So like when parents want to talk to you about each other, if that were to happen, you'd say no. Uh, if you're, if two bosses or uh, two people who outrank you in your organization want to talk to you about each other, the answer would be no, no, don't. There's a seductive appeal because it feels like you're being upgraded when someone wants to include you in that level of conversation that's about things that are over your head. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's never gone well in the end. Mm. And then I think that that IU one is a skill that I'm practicing in real time. And I ask people, on a fairly regular basis, actually. And at this point, it's a joke with my friends because they see it coming and they don't mind anymore. But when it's like, could you tell that story again, but this time make yourself the main character? And could you tell that story again? Could you say that using I instead? Uh, Because we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. And Mm. the, the interesting thing is like, these things, if I were to, if you were to tell like high school Blaine that he would be this forward, I would think you were insane. Hmm. I would be like, there's no way that I'm going to do that. I'm not going to actively manage any boundary. That was high school Blaine. I'm going to try to passively wind up with the boundaries that I want. And the way that I'm going to do that is when a conversation is about something I don't want to talk about, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just like try to let it die out. I won't engage it. I'll hope that, that like a fire will just burn down. Uh, when some, there's someone who I don't want to spend time with anymore, I'll just try to like not answer their calls as much, not get back to them. But always seem like I like them, always seem, but just to hopefully let it kind of pass late and go. You might have the opposite inclination, but that... Uh, it never worked. It never, ever, ever worked. And it, because people being the things that they are, they will take as much as you are willing to give them. They will take as, until you say, until you force them to stop. And then there's just the other example of like, uh, people only really feel safe in relationship when they see your heart. And when they get to relate with a real person, and that is that never is going to happen unless I actually engage the boundaries that I want to set. Mm-hmm.